Today we're going to be looking at a very important concept. Uh, up until this point, for a couple of months now, we have been focused on our need for awakening. We've taken a look at the things that are not right with the church, the things where we have failed, we have lost sight of God, and we need, as this angel shared, to repent. And it's been not a, shall I say, pleasant journey. It's hard to listen and hear when God is calling us back to where we need to be. But today we're going to take a shift. Starting today, in the weeks ahead of us, we are going to be looking at the what if. What if we do what God has called us to do? What if we seek his face and turn from our wicked ways? What if we hear his call? What are the changes we can expect to see in the body of Christ, in our own individual lives, if we take the call of God seriously? Now, to help us do that, I'm going to rely on what is probably one of the oldest tricks in advertising and in life in general. Uh, almost everything you see today in advertising in one form or other has comparison and contrast. If you drive our car, you're a winner. If you drive theirs, eh, not so much. If you drink our drink, oh, you are happening. You are what it is. And forgive me, all of you, for using a very old term. You are the best if you bank with our bank, if you live in our community, if you do this as opposed to this, it's a sure sign you have come ahead. Well, folks, we all have a natural tendency of comparing and contrasting. And sometimes it's a little bit painful. It's a little bit painful because we look at where we have been and we look at where we are and we're not always happy. It's not always fun. Sometimes it's a little startling. You know, back when you can remember when you had hair and and you were young and it didn't hurt to get out of a chair and you could do uh, go a long time and make all sorts of stuff and, and you remember what it's like. Uh, someone was sharing with me earlier that, that that this year is their 25th high school anniversary this year, I've been out of high school 45 years. And that's very startling. Because there's a lot of difference between what I was and what I am now. And I'm very conscious of that. You see, my brain keeps telling me I'm a kid. And my body keeps laughing while my brain says that. Comparison and contrast can help us see, it can also help us see how we've progressed. If we find ourselves fighting the same battles we have always fought and losing, if we find ourselves not growing, we can see that very clearly. And so today we're going to take the first step in looking at what if. What if God touches us? And we're going to be looking at Ezekiel 11, 19 through 21, and ask you, don't, don't crack open your Bible. You can open your Bibles, but don't look at the text to begin with. You've already heard it, but just hold on to that, because I want to make a comment about prophets in general. When you hear the idea of prophet, you most likely think of the word judgment, because that's what we're conditioned to do. You look at the Old Testament prophets, and they tend to be filled with Repent or else, repent or else, over and over again. So it's not hard to see why a lot of people avoid going to the prophets. But we need to understand something about the men and the women that God raised up. People like Huldah, who had a word for Josiah. People like Amos, who for the most part, his book is extremely bleak. And we hear that and we see that. But even the bleakest of prophets had 
words of hope. And those words of hope gathered around several different ideas. Yes, God is going to bring judgment. Yes, Israel has sinned. And yes, the northern kingdom of Israel fell to Assyria. The southern kingdom of Judah would fall to Babylon. But in the midst of all that warning, we hear God saying to his people, but there's coming a day when I will restore my own. There's a coming a day when I will make them brand new. There's coming a day I am going to bring them home. And particularly, it's been pointed out, during the period of the exile, when Israel is in Babylon, God raises up several words of promise that have a specific ring to them. And those words of promise are, I'm with you. Now, folks, that there's no logical sense to that for Israel. You're with us, but you you brought us here, God. You 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 sent us here. You judged us, and God still continues to say, "But you're not alone." You will find the message in Jeremiah. You will find it in Ezekiel. You will find it in Hosea. Words like, "I will be your God, and you will be my people." I will be their God and they will be my people. And God is saying to Israel, to his people, I will not utterly forsake you. In the midst of all the words of judgment, God is saying, I am not going to abandon you. And that was important for them to hear. Because when you're in Babylon... You feel abandoned. You feel destroyed. You feel hopeless. You feel what the psalmist felt when he said, by the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down. We sat down and wept. When they said to us, sing us a song of Zion, how can we sing a song of Zion in a strange land? Hopeless. And then God says, but you're not. You're not hopeless. And the text we're going to look at in Ezekiel today, chapter 11, verses 19 through 21, it does have a word of warning. I will let you know that. But our heart, we're going to focus on the word of hope and what a word it is. So let's take a look at our text and see what it says. I will give them an undivided heart and put a new spirit in them. I will remove from them their heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Then they will follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. They will be my people and I will be their God. But as for those whose hearts are devoted to their vile image and detestable idols, I will bring down on their own heads what they have done, declares the Sovereign Lord. Israel has heard, Judah has heard, judgments coming. And we now come to a place during the the ministry of Ezekiel that the judgment has come. And there have been people brought from Jerusalem and Judah all the way over to Babylon. And the people that are left back in Judah think that the people in Babylon must be the absolutely most hated by God. But God says, I don't hate you. And I have not forgotten you. And I will restore you. In this passage of Scripture, God gave to Ezekiel a promise that his people would be given a fresh start. A brand new start. Now that's important for us. If I were to ask for a show of hands today, and I'm not going to do that because I want to keep our focus on what God promises, but if I were to ask for a show of hands today, of those of you who are struggling with everything in your life, to hold on to hope, I would guess 
that most of us would raise our hands. We are living in a world of confusion, of change, all sorts of things happening. And it may well be, it may well be that what we fear is true. We may be on the brink of the judgment of God. But as his people, we need to hear the promise. God does not abandon his own. And God has promised within his word that what he did for Israel, he can do for us. He can change us. Now, what is it going to look like if God touches us and there is a change of heart within his people across our land and across the world today. What can we expect? Well, this is where the comparison and contrast comes in. For us to know and understand what it means to say God will change our hearts, we're going to look at what our hearts have been, perhaps are still, and what God wants to do to change us. So we're going to make some comparisons and contrasts. And we start off right off the bat and understand we've got to get this by observing the heart's focus. We are to observe the heart's focus. In other words, there's a little bit of introspection that needs to take place. We need to look at ourselves. And we need to be absolutely clear. We need to understand Where is our attention? I am told that the human attention span is dwindling even more rapidly than I fear. And it's not hard to believe, is it? Uh, Just a little thing can move us away. So what are we paying attention to? Observe the heart's focus. And we're going to start where God started because there's this heart of stone that needed to be dealt with. Before renewal, hearts are divided. We need to know that, and we need to acknowledge that. Hearts are divided. A brother named Christian Chong wrote that one morning a farmer told his wife that he was going out to pluck the ripened fruits from the field. And so he got out to an early start so he could warm up his truck. But when he got to the truck and started it, he noticed that he was low on gas. So he needed to go and get a fill-up. But as he was getting ready to go to the gas station and fill up, he noticed that his pigs had not been fed. And so he said, I've got to take care of that. So he gets ready to slop the hogs. As he proceeded to the corn crib... He gathered up some bags of seed, but then he noticed the woodpile. And he remembered, my wife tells me I've got to have some more wood in the house for her to cook with, for her to warm things up with. She needs wood for our fireplace. And so he starts to gather up wood. And as he's picking up the wood, one of his chickens stumble by. There's something wrong with it. It's sick. And because he cares about his livestock, they are part of what helps sustain his family, he puts down the sticks and goes to check on the chicken. And before long, it's noon. And he hasn't even put gas in his truck. He hasn't done any of the chores he had planned on doing. And sure enough, the day is hot And there are now some pieces of fruit falling from the tree. And John goes on to say, If you have ever found yourself intending to do something important, but you were distracted by many other seemingly important tasks that keep you from accomplishing the main objective of your day, then you know what it means to be distracted. And I'm not even going to ask you if you know what it means to be distracted. Because all of us are. 
we do get distracted easily. And before God touches us, we are divided. The people of God, the people of Israel, had a long history of divided loyalty. It began early on in their lives, even when they were still in Egypt as slaves, worshiping false gods. And then they hear about God and they say, we're going to follow him. And from Sinai to the promised land and through the kingdom, they kept having divided loyalties. Worshiping Yahweh, but worshiping the foreign gods as well. And they wouldn't listen. God kept raising up prophets to speak, and they just would not listen to what God wanted. And so, they tried to play a game. Serve God and. And we're pretty rough on Israel. I remember as a teenager when I really discovered the Old Testament and I read all the things that Israel did, I thought, man, they were bad. They kept failing. They kept going back. And then somewhere down the line, somebody pointed out to me, that sounds remarkably familiar. And the reality is, folks, throughout the centuries, even the body of Christ has fought divided loyalty. You see, I can point to you moments in time when the church, and this can go across denominational lines, we were so focused on the structure and the institution of the church that that became the major thing in our hearts and minds. There have also been times when we were enamored by the things of the world and we thought, that looks fun. It can't hurt to do it a little bit. We'll, we'll just sin a little. And today our loyalties are being tested even more. There is a phrase that is used called nominal Christianity. And what it means is Christian in name. And there are a lot of people in our country, 75% some some surveys say, that identify as Christian. But let's ask a real honest question. Does it look like 75% of the people in our country are following the Lord faithfully? Does it look like we are? We've embraced a kind of cultural Christianity that doesn't make much demands. Go to church. And you're a good Christian. Give your tithe. You're even better. But that's not asking much. And for too long, we have embraced the techniques of the world. We want to grow a church. Let's see how the world grows stuff. And there was a whole movement in the 90s of saying, to get lost people in church, we've got to give lost people what they want. And there were churches that were letting lost people decide how they should worship. Folks, lost people don't know what worship is. Embracing the techniques of the world and losing sight of our primary focus. What are we here for? To serve God. To love God. To be witnesses of our faith to Christ. And everything else becomes secondary and what we do as Christians. And sometimes we lose sight of that primary goal. So, before renewal, our hearts are divided. But oh, if God touches. If God moves. If God awakens us. After renewal, the heart is focused on God. After renewal, the Lord has our attention. He has captured our hearts. Uh, Ezekiel put it this way. God spoke and said, I'm going to give them an undivided heart. They're not going to be chasing after a thousand different things. This was the promise of God. I am going to give them an undivided heart. The remnant of God's people in Babylon, Babylon would have a heart to come back to God. To follow the covenant. And follow God's plan as fully as they could. 
He said, not only am I going to give them a new heart, I'm going to give them a new spirit, a new mindset, a new drive that will guide them in the paths that they should follow. I'm going to recreate who they are. And from here on out, my people will be hearing me. Now, did Israel fulfill that 100%? Of course not. There were still struggles and pains. But Paul holds out a hope. In the ninth chapter of the book of Romans, Paul says, "I, if I could give up my salvation for my brothers Israel, I would. But he makes it clear that he believed that God would save his brothers Israel completely and totally. God said, I will give them an undivided heart. I'll give them a new spirit. And when God's hand of renewal falls on his church, if God moves and gives us the awakening we're praying for, then our hearts will be singly focused on being what he calls us to be. See, single-hearted devotion is what God expects from us. We read in our responsive reading from Psalm 51, creating me a new heart, O God. Renew a right spirit within me. Jeremiah talks about the same new heart that God was going to bring to his people. And ultimately, that newness is found, completed in the salvation in which Christ makes all who follow him new creatures. So when God moves, our lives will be drawn to his purpose. So what do we do? What do we do? Let us ask God for a renewed focus for our hearts. See, God had to do something to Israel to bring her back home. God has got to do something with his church to bring us back to where we can be. We must know that God is the one who will restore us. God is the one who will renew us. And we must humbly seek his hand to move in our lives. We've got to go to him. I can't do this alone. I need your touch, your strength, your grace. So folks, it's time we get real with the Lord. It's time we open up and admit that you and I cannot live this life in our own power. But as we trust God to touch us, he will renew and he will refocus us. Well now, let's move to our next point of comparison. Observe the heart's receptiveness. Observe the heart's receptiveness. Have you ever met somebody who wouldn't let you give them a gift? I know that sounds really weird to us, especially if you think back when you were a kid. But I've known a lot of people. I've offered, and they said, no, that's okay. I'm all right. Well, before we talk about people who are just too stubborn to get a gift, let's take a look at ourselves. We, got, we have to look at our receptiveness and very specifically, our receptiveness toward God. You see, before renewal, hearts are closed and stubborn. Now, I will very carefully avoid asking anybody to raise your hands if you're stubborn. Because many of you, I know well enough, I don't have to ask that question. I look at myself in the mirror every day. The people of God, frankly, stubbornly refuse to follow the one they called Lord. And the literal Hebrew word that's translated Lord, not just Yahweh, which is usually translated Lord, covenant God. Well, I'm talking about Lord, Master, King. Lord of my life, they refuse to listen. 
Why? God said they had a heart of stone. And folks, if your heart turns to stone, you're dead. You're dead. And you are unable to do what you need to do. So spiritually speaking, the children of Israel are so far removed from what God wants, they can no longer do what He wants. They refuse to listen. Dead to what God was calling. When He said, repent through His prophets, they always had an excuse. They always had a reason why they wouldn't. And God kept calling them. They were so dead, they refused to turn away from the idolatry. They refused to hear God's pleas on their behalf. They refused to hear people like Amos and Isaiah. And again, before we pick on Israel, let's be honest, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ can be fully entrenched in a stubborn streak as well. How do I know that? Well, let's listen to a few of the things God calls us to do, okay? We are told to love and pray for our enemies. Probably not on the top of the list of things we do. We know we're called to. But we hold on to bitterness. We hold on to hatred. We look at them. And our enemies are always them. Those people. Whoever they may be. And we will demonize them. We will refuse to acknowledge they are human beings. And instead of showing a compassion to pray for them, if we do pray for them, it's usually to the effect God judged them. Which is not what Jesus We are told to strive for unity and the bond of peace within the body of Christ. I once served in a community. There were five Southern Baptist churches. Only one was not there on the basis of a church split. And in our denomination's life, just the SBC, I can show you almost every decade we've existed, we've had a fight. We're told to bear witness to our Lord. And yet some studies have suggested as much as 90 to 95% of people who profess faith in Christ have never shared their faith with a lost person. Sometimes we... We, we couch it under, I don't want to be intrusive, I don't want to overstep my boundaries, I don't want to meddle, but we're not telling. We're telling, we're told in the Word of God that God must be first. And yet He is often far from our minds. And we keep on in our stubbornness. Even if we're hurt by it. Bob Ashcraft tells a story of a a man, he was a blacksmith, who had a very strong-willed child. And again, I'm not asking for parents to nod if you have one, but they a very strong-willed boy. And one morning, the blacksmith is working on some horseshoes, and his little boy comes in to his shop, and he immediately sees his boy, and he immediately knows what he's going to happen. There are a couple of brand-new Horseshoes on the ground. He says, leave them alone. They're too hot. What do you mean, Father? Daddy turns his head and the little boy inches a little bit further. And he looks and says, I'm not kidding. Do not touch those. They will burn you. They are too hot. And the little boy again, I don't understand. But finally, the dad gets so engrossed in what he's doing He turns his back on the boy and doesn't see. And guess what son does? He walks over and he picks up a horseshoe, which he very quickly throws in the dirt and starts shaking his hands. And his father looks, see what happens when you do what I tell you not to do. You got burned, didn't you? 
And little boy is burned and hurting, but his stubbornness still raises its head. No, I just looked at it really quickly. And that sounds a lot like us. I want to do what I want to do. Even if it hurts. And that's what we were. That may be where we're at still, right this very moment. But what if God touches us? What if the awakening comes? After renewal, hearts are ready to respond to the Lord. When God touches us with his spirit and moves in our hearts, suddenly that heart of stone, that heart of stubbornness melts away to a flesh heart ready to listen. And the promise of God to give a heart of flesh was monumental. God's people, as they opened up their hearts to his touch and repentance, he says, I'm going to change you. Now, this doesn't mean that somehow we have to clean up our lives before God will move. But it's a recognition that we see in the Word of God, throughout the Word of God, that God, God can't force us to follow. And He calls for us to repent. So just as Israel needed to be touched, so they could repent and open their hearts, God says, I'm going to move in you. And you will come back to me. And their hearts would be made new. And suddenly, they can listen to God. Suddenly, they want to follow God. Suddenly, they want to know what his will is. And they are changed. And when God's hand of renewal touches our being, when he moves in us, we will have a new and deepening love for God. If we seek his face, we will be transformed into a people that long to follow him, that long to serve him. We will become a people who are ready to hear him and respond accordingly to his word. When we turn our hearts and he renews us, we want to follow our God. Our ears will no longer be Constantly distracted from his voice. It is quite natural for a child to take after their parent. Sometimes that's very good, sometimes not so much. But folks, we're the children of God. And God is saying, I want you to follow me. Jesus, our elder brother, has shown us the way we are to live. And as God touches our lives, we can begin moving in that direction. So, what do we need to do? Let us ask God to melt our cold hearts. Now, we can't change our hearts ourselves. We just can't do it. So, we need to yield ourselves to the hand of God. I'm so far away from where I need to be, where I want to be, God, and I keep stumbling. I need you to touch me. And his Holy Spirit will supply the spark that will stir our hearts to flame. Igniting a new desire to follow his lead. That's what we can be. People ready to listen and follow our God, as he is moving in us, touching us, directing us. Well, we have one last comparison that we find in Ezekiel. Observe the heart's actions. Observe the heart's actions. When our hearts are far from God, how do we behave? When our hearts are being drawn to God and we repent, and the awakening comes, how will we behave? Look at the way we act. 
is crucially important in deciding are we where God wants us to be. You see, before renewal, hearts are yielded to disobedience. Isn't it amazing that one of the first words our children learn, alongside mommy and most of us dads are hoping dada or whatever, If I were to ask you to just call out one of the first words your children learn, I'd be willing to bet no. They learn that very quickly, don't they? And they know how to use the word no because they've heard it so much. And that is the heart that is far from God. Israel had long ago, long before the Babylonian captivity, quit following a path of obedience. Oh, they kept the rituals going. They performed sacrifices. They said prayers. They went to the temple. But then it was all emptiness. How do I know that? Because while they were praising God at the temple, they were also going in the high places and worshiping false gods. We know this because in the midst of their sacrifices, They were not giving their devotion to God. And folks, partial obedience of a hardened heart is an awful lot like a half-truth. A half-truth is meaningless because it's a whole lie. And the lie that brought them to the place of judgment cut off from the land, facing the judgment of God, was a lie that we don't have to do as our God calls us to do. The divided hearts of God's people today lead them into the same lukewarm obedience. We can find ourselves going through all the motions. We can find ourselves faithfully going to church. Don Francisco, back in the 70s, wrote a very powerful song. I don't care how many buses you own or the size of your sanctuary. Doesn't matter how steep your steeple is if it's sitting on a cemetery. I don't care if you pave your parking lots or put pads upon your pews. What good is a picture-perfect stage if you're missing all the cues? I don't care if your pastor's super-powered and your program's always new. What you need is love and truth, and men are going to come to you. It doesn't matter if you know the Bible, if it's all inside your head. But the thing I need to ask you is, have you done the things I said? Do you love your wife? For her and for your children, are you laying down your life? What about the others? Are you living as a servant to your sisters and the brothers? Do you make the poor man beg you for a bone? Do the widow and the orphan cry alone? I don't care if you pray for miracles. I don't care if you speak with tongues. I don't care if you said you've loved me in every song you sung. It doesn't matter if your sacrifice of praise is loud enough to wake the dead. The thing I need to ask you is, have you done the things I said? Do you love your wife? With all you've got inside you, are you laying down your life? What about the others? Are you living as a servant to your sisters and your brothers? Do you make the poor man beg you for a bone? Do the widow and the orphan cry alone? Lord, when were you a prisoner, but we did not come to you? When was it that we saw you sick that we didn't follow through? Every time you turned your head and pretended not to see, when you did it not to the least of these, You did it not to me. Going through the motion, without heart change, without commitment to God, acts of religiosity don't mean a thing. But, if God touches us, if we are receptive and ready and 
honestly seeking the Lord. Lord, change our hearts. Forgive us our sins. Renew who we are meant to be. What can happen? After renewal, hearts are ready to follow God. After renewal, hearts are ready to follow God. The Lord promised that his people Israel would become obedient in their walk with him. They would carefully keep his laws. Their actions would not be done haphazardly. One day Israel would come to truly follow the Lord Almighty. What about those who don't? If they persist in their sin, God says, judgment will come and I will take care of them. But when they hear me, and when they turn to me in repentance, when they open their hearts to me, I will change them. And when and if God's renewal comes in our day, if the awakening we are praying for comes into our lives, we'll finally understand what Jesus meant in the Beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they will be filled. He will change the desires of our hearts. He will empower us to faithfully follow his purpose. We will finally come to understand the need to allow our faith to lead us into faithful living. James said, I'm not interested in you telling me how much you believe God if it doesn't show up in your life. Faith without works is dead. A true and honest faith will change the way we live. And so we will be unable to understand a song that we sing as Baptists a lot. We sang it recently. Trust and obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. And I've wondered how often I've sung those words. Simply by rote. Only in obedience are we free. Only in obedience are we free. Eugene Peterson, I love the, many of his books. His paraphrase, The Message, is a, is a fun a way of looking at, at, at an understanding. But he wrote a book, Run With the Horses, and he tells about watching a family of birds teaching their babies to fly. Three young swallows were perched on a dead branch that stretched out over a lake. And one of the adult swallows got alongside the chicks and started shoving them out toward the edge of the branch. Pushing, 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 until finally the first chick fell off the branch, headed for the water below, beating its wings as quickly as it could, and all of a sudden it took the flight. So it's number two's turn, and the bird is pushing and pushing and pushing, and the bird falls off, and again, plummeting surely to its death, flapping its wings, and flies off. Oh, but young swallow number three was probably named Danny. The adult was pushing the bird. And it wasn't going to be bullied. I'm not budging an inch. Well, it did because Daddy Bird's bigger than and pushed and pushed. But the third young swallow was determined not to get knocked off that branch. To the point Peterson said he was now hanging onto the branch upside down determined not to let go. And Papa Swallow starts pecking his claws with his teeth until it finally became so painful 
The bird had to let go. And sure enough, beating its wings, it took off. The mature swallow knew, Peterson said, what the chick didn't do, that it would fly. There was no danger in making it do what it was perfectly designed to do. Swallows have feet and can walk. Swallows have claws and can grasp a branch securely. But flying is what they are designed to do. That's what they are meant to do. And it's not until they fly that they are living their best. Graceful, beautiful, and free. And Peterson's right, folks. And God created you and he created me to follow our Creator. To follow his path. To follow his plan. And we are not truly free until we open ourselves up to what God made us to be. I believe until we know our Lord and Savior, and until we are opening our hearts up to him as fully as we possibly can, what we do is exist. When we are meant to soar. When we are meant to fly so What do we do? Let us ask God to grant us the strength to stand obediently. Instead of some haphazard obedience that we do every once in a while in our own power, we need God to move in our lives. We need God to change our hearts. We need God to rescue us from ourselves. And we need his touch to make us obedient. Renewal and new life. Henry David Thoreau in his classic work, Walden, told of a powerful custom of the class Indians. Once each year, their village uh, had a spring cleaning. They called it a busk. First, they would make new clothes for themselves as well as new furniture, new cooking utensils. They would keep all of these new things in a building outside of the village. And when everything was ready, they would begin the annual spring cleaning. And folks, I don't care how good a spring cleaner you are, you're an amateur. Every corner of every house was scrubbed. Every stick of furniture was thrown out. Every child's toy went to the garbage heap as well. The dirt paths were swept. The weeds were plucked up. Even food left over from winter was thrown out. All, all of the refuse in the village was gathered together into a pile at the center of the village, and the chief would set it on fire. And as they watched it burn, Thankfully, we don't have this custom. They took off all their clothes and threw them into the fire as well. And they watched that fire closely and made sure every last piece of garbage was burned. And on the fourth morning of this process, they washed and bathed, dressed in their new clothes, and they would gather again at the heart of the village And the chief started another fire. And from the flames, each family took burning sticks home to start their own fires. Every year, the old was completely gone. Life began again. Folks, we have a place of renewal. We have a place of a fresh start. And it isn't dependent on our ability to clean out our lives. Our place of renewal is not a garbage dump 
to be burned at the outside of the village. Our place of renewal is Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. And in our renewal, our hearts can become refocused on God, putting Him at the head of our life where He wants and we need Him to be. In our renewal, our lives can be more receptive to doing His will, wanting to follow Him, asking Him for strength to remain faithful. In our renewal, our actions can become those of obedient followers of Christ. We must ask God to move in our lives. We must ask God to renew our path. And so today, right now, I'm asking you to bow your heads, close your eyes before the Lord. Take a look at what you have been and where you are with God right now. Are you where you need to be? Or are you still holding on to the old ways? Today, I implore you, yield yourself to the renewing touch of God. Let him give you a new heart, a, a, a beating strong heart to love him, a new mind, a new spirit to follow him, and a desire to let him change you. And I'd like to pray for you. If this is your heart, if this is your desire, if this is what you long for, just would you slip up your hand very quickly. 